We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. All right, we're going to be uh, on the still on the front page of this new packet uh, uh, chapter. This is a new packet, a new day, a new packet. Uh, chapter sixteen of Genesis Rabbah, uh, Midrash number five. But we're going to skip to the uh, the very bottom of the right-hand column, uh, just to keep ourselves moving from where we were last week. Um, and we're, but uh, just to kind of reorient ourselves, we're on this verse, uh, So the Lord God uh, took uh, uh, the man, or the, the human, and he placed him uh, in the Garden of Eden, or caused him to rest in the Garden of Eden, to work it and to guard it, or to, yeah, to work it and to protect it. Um, and so we uh, 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 spent a little bit of time last time talking about the phrasing of that God took him, and what that means, and how it seems to, uh, it, it seems to imply um, a lack of agency on the part of the um, uh, original human. Uh, it's also, if you recall, a in, uh, in some senses not new information to us because we encountered this idea a couple of verses before, um, where it says "Vayasem Adonai Elohim et Adam began Eden Mikedem" or something. It's "Vayita Adonai Elohim began Eden Mikedem." Right, so the, the the Lord God created, uh, caused a planted a garden in Eden to the east, Vayasem Sham Adam Asher Yatsar, and placed there the man that he had that God had created. So this, in some ways, a repetition of that idea that God pla- took the human being who was created and placed him in the Garden of Eden. So uh, David asked last week, who's not here this week, unfortunately, to hear my answer to his question, but I'll share it with you. So David asked a really interesting question, um, which is, uh, which actually we hadn't really thought of before uh, so much, which is, okay, God, uh, clearly, you know, in, your, in the kind of popular con- conception of the creation of human beings and biblical creation of human beings in the Garden of Eden, the conception is that, like, is that God creates Adam in the Garden of Eden. But the reading the Bible um, more uh, closely than that implies that Adam was created elsewhere and then moved to the Garden of Eden. So the question was, well, where was Adam created? And um, so I I did a little research on this, not exhaustive research, but I did a little research on it. See where else in the Midrash I might talk about this. And uh, and so I actually mentioned one of these last week, um, uh, which is that... um, that there's a midrash in I think it's midrash Tanchuma that says that God took uh, soil uh, from uh, from like 
all the continents of the world, or probably the Midrashic language is the four corners of the earth, right? Took soil from everywhere and mixed it together to make Adam. Uh, and the lesson that they derive from that is that, you know, so that um, not only, um, uh, which, which actually Rabbi Jacob showed us uh, a, that Midrashic interpretation, was, you know, why did God create a single human being so that nobody could say that your father, my father is greater than your father. And in the same way, that Midrash, that God made Adam from all of the uh, dust of, from all places on earth, so that nobody could say, my place of origin is better than your place of origin, right? Um, so that's one um, idea, uh, but that doesn't exactly answer the question of where he was created. And so the answer to, to that, uh, it may not surprise you to learn, is that uh, the prevalent answer in the Midrash is that the first man was created uh, in Jerusalem, uh, on, on the Temple Mount. Uh, and, that the, uh, and, that, uh, and that it kind of expands on the Midrash that the soil was taken from everywhere to make Adam, say, but Adam's head was made from the soil of the Temple Mount. Um, and that's, uh, that's sort of like where, where our head's at, um, uh, as it were. But that coincides with a pretty uh, prominent uh, rabbinic idea that the, uh, that the Temple Mount is the cornerstone of the world, right? That that was the place from which God began building the world. Now, you know, scientifically, we might understand that that is not true, uh, but in the rabbinic consciousness, uh, it kind of you know it, it points to the you know the, the sanctity of that of that spot. Um, so anyway, um, so that's that's an answer is that uh, Adam was in Jerusalem and God picked him up from Jerusalem and put him in the Garden of Eden wherever that was. Okay. All right, so bottom uh, left hand, sorry, bottom right hand column, another interpretation of Vayani Chehu. Um, Margaret, you want to read for us? Sure. The word Vayaniyehu intimates that God gave Adam the precept of the Sabbath. As it is stated, by six days Hashem made the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. Accordingly, the end of our verse, to work it and to guard it, is to be explained as follows. To work it parallels the commandment, six days you shall work, and to guard it parallels the commandment, the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Uh, let's, well, let's just pause there for a second, okay? So, um, uh, so we have this phrase in the... In the verse, it says, "V'yani chehu began Eden le'ovda u'leshomra." Okay, and so God uh, placed him or caused him to rest in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. And so, uh, you know, the, the terms, you know, to work it and to guard it are, in some sense, ambiguous. Like, what exactly does that mean? Um, and you know, and, and again, you know, you have this. Uh, um, uh, popular conception, I think, of the Garden of Eden is that, you know, it was not a place that required any labor on the part of, uh, of, of, of human beings to cultivate it, right? That it was already fully cultivated and there for Adam to simply enjoy. Uh, and so it, it makes it even more puzzling in some sense of what, what God might mean by putting that the purpose of Adam going into the garden was to work it and to guard it. Um, and so here you have one interpretation of that, that, um, that, uh, that, that the, the phrasing to work it and to guard it was actually uh, really only meant to indicate that, uh, that, that, that God 
uh, put Adam there to uh, and like gave him the one commandment to observe Shabbat. Uh, that was the that was the uh, first thing that that God said to Adam was to to rest on Shabbat, and so needed a contrast to Shabbat, and the contrast to Shabbat is Sheshit um, uh, right? The, the six days of creation or the six days of creative activity, right? So that 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 working there may be you know not necessarily you know like uh, planting and harvesting in the garden, which seems to me to be the plain meaning of that of that word, lovda, um, but in a more kind of broad sense that, uh, that God uh, enabled Adam to engage in creative activity, uh, productive activity within the garden, though it may not necessarily be related to, uh, you know, the cultivation of the garden itself, um, but primarily for the objective of uh, giving him Shabbat. And so you can't really have Shabbat unless you have the six days of the week. Um, just on that on that note, um, when I first started here, um, uh, I, I mentioned uh, a, um, a, a, a he was never directly a teacher of mine, although he's very close with my family. Uh, now he's uh, since passed away, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, um, and who's the uh, among other things the the founder of, a, of Jewish Renewal, um, and uh, and so I mentioned him in a in a sermon or a teaching or something like that, and um, and one of our congregants. Uh, brought me a recording, a CD recording of uh, Reb Zalman teaching here in like the early 70s or something like that. He had saved this recording and put it on CD um, and, and gave it to me. It was really an amazing gift and I listened to it and the title of the lecture was uh, the, the Hippie, the Chassid, uh, uh, the hippie, the square, and the chassid. Okay, so um, so they, uh, what I imagined of the speech was was him because how it sounded was him talking to a room full of of you know greatest generation parents whose children you know had uh, had you know joined the counterculture and couldn't like understand what was going on, and so he was like. Uh, trying to explain um, uh, the counterculture to this room full of squares, you know, and um, but his but but uh, so what and what he ultimately said is he was, this why it's the hippie, the square, and the chassid is um, said that uh, that what the chassid teaches is that both hippie and square have something to teach each other, right? And he and he he brought up Shabbos as the example of that. He says, you know, the uh, the the square says. Uh, for six days you should work and do all your labors, right? But Jewish tradition says that that's insufficient. That's only part of the equation. And the other part of the equation is the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You should not do any labor, right? So uh, so we have both of those things. Like you have to work and be productive um, uh, and, and engage in, in you know, in... in uh, in the social order, um, but also at, for you know uh, one seventh of your week should be you know tuning in, turning on, and dropping out, right? Um, and uh, so I, th- I thought it was a really a really great take because it also highlighted in this that you know something that you don't uh, usually think about so much. I don't usually I shouldn't say you because you're probably smarter than me. And you might think about it, but I don't think about it so much. Which is you know like Shabbos is meaningless if there isn't the other six days of the week. For the contrast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But Adam didn't come six days before. He was he was meeting on the sixth day and then he jumped straight into 
That's true. That's true. So how did he work? I mean, he didn't work. So yeah, the the you're right. The first the the first his first full day on Earth was Shabbat. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah. <laughs> but you know when you when like I love that imagery. Like that first comes our priority of our relationship with the divine and with one another. Like our first. The important relationship is not to our work. The work is not more important than Shabbat. Shabbat is more important in our connection with God and our relationship with God. So it prioritizes God over the work. Yes, to some degree, there is that, that Shabbat is, is meaningful because of the other six days. But particularly in our culture that prioritizes work and puts you know, what do you do? The question, what do you do, is the most important question you will answer upon meeting somebody. And if you answered, I celebrate Shabbat, they'd look at you like, like, but really, if we were to, if, if we wanted to answer that question and God was asking us, God would want us to say we celebrate Shabbat and put that first. Because I just think that it's a great prioritization. Like, it's a great Particularly right now in a culture that's obsessed with us working all the time. But I think it's... I don't agree with that, but you know, I think uh, for six days we work. Which I mean, thank God, I think he called us to work. So that's very important for him. The community, the life in community is very important. And he, choose, he decided to have one day just for him. Otherwise he would have, he would have made Shabbat every, every single day would have been Shabbat. No. Because I mean, I think that God He is interested in us working for us and for the rest, and then one day, especially for Him. Because. But if you could only do one or the other, God maybe that God's saying that you do Shabbat. Because if you have only one Shabbat. But I think you can't have Shabbat unless you've got the contract. I said. I'm I think similarly to what you're saying, that you can't appreciate Shabbat unless you have the contrast. Right. You have to leave first. They come up for together. It's a balance, I think. Yeah. Well, question. Yeah. What is the purpose of Shabbat? So I I love that question. Um, what I was thinking about while this conversation was going on is um, is that you know since which is actually something that I never really stopped to consider, but that you know since the the first full day of uh, of a human being being on Earth was Shabbat, um, you know the which um, which I'm trying to think if I, I had it like formulated in my head what I wanted to say here, and it's not I'm not. Uh, now when I'm trying to put words to it in reality, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sort of failing. But um, so Jewish tradition says that Shabbat is me'en olam haba, which means a um, like a, a, a like the essence of of heaven, right? The the essence of the world to come, right? So, so in other words, it is um, uh, 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 you know we you know the assumption is that paradise is. Um, the 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 absence of need of of productive labor, um, the absence of need for productive labor, because you have everything that you need, 
um, and um, uh, intimacy or even union with God, right? Uh, and um, and you know there is a sense that um, that our uh, that that our our creation as independent entities, our creation as as human beings, is is a separation from our source, right? And so, um, so you know, we've been created source being God, yeah, right. And so we're we're created in a sense de- detached from from uh, what was originally our home, which was union with God. Um, and uh, and I've been thinking a lot recently about that idea, Heschel. Uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel talks about um, he talks about this in the context of prayer, but he that he says that uh, that uh, human being is um, is spiritually homeless. Um, we're, we're we're an alien to this world, right? And um, because the world that we come from, which is a world of oneness with God, is a world that's that's not broken, is a world of perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect harmony, perfect love, um, and to be in a world in which there is Violence and injustice and war, uh, poverty, famine, um, pain—that uh, is an alien planet on some level for for us. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's a, sorry, I'm mixing metaphors a lot here, but I think of uh, Shabbat uh, in, in a sense is is, a, is is homecoming, or at least like a reconnection with uh, with with a with a world closer to the one that feels most. Uh, feels most uh, naturally hospitable to our soul, well, you know, one where we are in, you know, in loving community and with family and engaged in prayer and praise and not having to engage in productive labor where all of our needs, at least theoretically, are are satisfied. Recognizing, of course, that they're only satisfied because we did the work during the week to enable them to be satisfied. But nevertheless, right, that that uh, that. Uh, um, that, that nobody should experience want or need on Shabbat. That's the Jewish ideal of Shabbat, which is why there's, there's lots of customs to, you know, make sure that the poor are cared for in advance of Shabbat, that they have enough to eat too, right? So there's a lot of tradition regarding that. And I think that it's, it's part of that idea that Shabbat is, a, is sort of like a spiritual homecoming. And I was thinking about it. As we've been, as we've been talking, kind of like, uh, kind of like Superman, right? So Superman has the Fortress of Solitude uh, in the whatever it is, Antarctica, uh, made from crystals from uh, Krypton. And when he goes there, it's like it's like being a home in Krypton. It's not really being Krypton, but it's like you know, like he could talk to he could talk to uh, Jor El, he could talk to his mother, right? He can he can commune with the people of Krypton, um, and then. After he goes, after he like recharges in the Fortress of Solitude, he's able to go back into the world and fight for truth, justice, and all that jazz, right? So that's, I think, what the purpose of Shabbat is for us: is that we we sort of like get this spiritual recharge in order to empower us to try to uh, to, to work to uh, not only to in order to care for our own needs, but also to work to make the world. Uh, as it is, closer to a, a place that is actually hospitable for our souls, right? a place that is that is actually in union with 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 God, that has that's closer to that uh, perfect justice and perfect peace and perfect love. Um, so I, I, that's that's I think the purpose of Shabbat is um, is is to uh, is is uh, is that sense of spiritual homecoming. It's a state of shalom. Right, right. That's so why we read each other Shabbat Shalom. Everything right. is fulfilled. Right. Nothing is, nothing is needed. 
And I would say at least 99% of what you just said is a very good description of Christian monasticism. Yeah, I, listen. I think you're. I think you're right about that. I think the difference in Judaism is uh, is is uh, is is a sense that the six days of productive work, engagement with the world, are are also considered to be important. Oh, I mean, there there. I mean, listen. There are traditions of Jewish monasticism too. Right, especially within uh, the Hasidic tradition, uh, before that the mystical tradition, um, there there are plenty of strands of Jewish monasticism who believe that the that the you know the essence of what we're you know that 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 this world you know it's like the Matrix right this world is an illusion right and the um, uh, that uh, that that really what we ought to do is divorce ourselves from the physical world as much as we possibly can um, in order to. Uh, get back to the spiritual world, which is really our source. And there are Jewish traditions of mortification of the flesh and, and all that sort of stuff, too. They never really caught on, because I think that, you know, um, uh, Jews, I think, are, you know, just more pragmatic than that. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, they exist, right, with the, the idea being that there's something there's something sinful about or, or something, let me rephrase that, not necessarily simple, but inherently ungodly about the material world, right? And, and, our, and, and at essence, we are spiritual beings, and we should strive to elevate as much of our spiritual selves as we can and ignore as much as we can or divorce ourselves as much as we can from the material. Another question, for example, um, for example, I believe that you know, well, I think, I've been thinking, he created the week for us because where he comes from, there are no day, no, there's no day, there's no night. Right. It's only for us, and you know, for animals, it's only for his, for us that he created the week. Mm-hmm. He created the shower for us. Right. Right. So that, I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Uh, at least part of that is absolutely true, which is uh, you know the, the the notion of a week is you know a purely well, it, from the Bible's perspective, it's a divine innovation given to humans, but from a more like anthropological point of view, it's a human innovation, right? The, the way we mark and measure time is a human innovation. You know culture, for example, you know the culture, I think the, the week, it was created like in, the, the, in that area of Mesopotamia. Because, for example, in the case of, the, I think in the Roman, the Roman calendar, they, they went by, they, they went by, ten, by, by 10 days. The week was no, was there was no week. There was there were ten, groups of ten days, mm-hmm. and they, so that was the, the way they counted. And in, in fact, they they use uh, they use the first day and the the the, 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 the day in the middle of the month and the last day. That's why they call it. Um, for example, Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar he was killed on the on the eighth. So on the eighth. So on the eighth. The eighth. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Ides of March. Ides, yeah. So it might be Eids. In, yeah. in the Eids of March. Which means that he was killed on the 15th. Um, but they, they counted 10 days. But the idea of the week of seven days, I think, comes from the Middle East, time from mm-hmm. Babylon. Babylon uh, that, that wouldn't be surprising to me uh, because, you know, for, for, I think, complex reasons that I'm not an expert in, uh, uh, seven was, uh, was a core part of the like mathematical system of, of the ancient Near East um, or the mythology of the ancient Near East. So, um, but yeah, uh, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I hadn't heard that about uh, about Roman marking of time. But um, it doesn't. But 
the, but the but the point is is a really well taken one, right? That uh, that the, the notion that there is such a thing as a week, um, or in you know, or such a thing as a month for that matter. Uh, um, I mean, a year we mark. Uh, there's there's you know, um, I guess I would say astronomical significance to a year, right? So the you know, um, uh, but where you begin that year, when you where you end that year is uh, is you know sort of culturally dependent. Um, the only thing that's that's you know. Uh, 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 both natural and observable is is day and night, right? But you're but you're right in the other sense too that that uh, you know which is which is you know the the first thing that God created or the what God created on the first day of creation, right? Is uh, is the separation of of light and darkness and calling the light day and the night uh, and the dark night, um, which didn't exist before that. There was only indistinguishable everything. Right? Um, I, I actually tried to think, because I, I, I think I mentioned to you that like, one of my motivations for, for um, studying these Midrashim is I want to write some children's books about uh, Bible stories, and I um, uh, started with writing um, a, a story about, the, about Genesis, about creation, and you know, um, I, I, I had to think about you know, what I would describe um, things as being like before God separated light from dark. And, and, you know, for that matter, what things were like before, uh, before God began creating the world and the, the universe in the first place. Um, a question that, that even, that even the cutting edge of, of science hasn't answered, you know, they can get to an infinitesimally small moment after the big bang, uh, but have absolutely no clue, uh, what came before the big bang. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, their top people are working on. Uh, but, uh, but <laughs> uh, if you, do you catch a reference from, uh, you catch it from Indiana Jones? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, but anyway, but, but, you know, I, it could be that one day, uh, science will satisfyingly answer that question. Um, I, I have, I have reservations because of the, um, uh, you know, the, it will probably be only theoretical the way science could answer that question, right? Um, because science can only study the observable and the quantifiable, and there's there's nothing observable as far as we know before the Big Bang. So, anyway, um, I have a question. Yeah. So, what about Adam's second, third, fourth day? You know, was it every day Shabbat until he sinned? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know about that. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I, I suspect that uh, that the first day was Shabbat, and then the rest of the days are are regular days. You know, but they're not work days, are they? Uh, I don't know. Why not? <laughs> what was he doing? Maybe. Well, he named he named the animals. Yeah. Um, Frolicking in the nude? I don't know. Um, uh, it's a good question uh, about you know what, you know what it was that Adam was doing you know and what the we we really don't get a sense of the timing uh, in in the story. I assume that there are midrashim that try to suss that out. You know, like what happens on which day. Um, you know, and, and they certainly try to suss out. You know, what was the year of the expulsion from the garden? You know, what, what, what where do we count that? Um, because you know, Jewish tradition believes that we are in the year five thousand seven hundred seventy-nine since the creation, um, uh, and uh, you know, so I, and I have to go back and look to see, you know, 
um, you know, where was where was the expulsion from the garden? Is that year one? Is that year three? Um, it's hard to hard to tell from the biblical text itself. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, actually, I mean, I could go back and look. I mean, is there, there, when, it, when it gives the genealogy of of Adam, it might make reference to it there. I, I'll, I'll have to make a note of that. But, um, Um, okay. Any other thoughts or uh, questions about um, about Shabbat? All right, Margaret. Will you keep going on the next page? Another interpretation of to orchid and to guard it. These expressions refer to the sacrificial offerings that Adam was to bring in Gan Gan Eden, for it states, "You will serve God on this mountain." And it is written, my offering you shall safeguard, to offer to me in its appointed time. And Hashem, Hashem God commanded the man, saying, of every... Oh, sorry, sorry, let's pause there. We're not going to go on yet. Okay, so... Uh, sorry, I was I was a little bit distracted because I was curious if uh, if in Genesis five when it gives the genealogy of Adam, uh, if it me- makes mention of like what year the expulsion from the garden was or anything like that. Doesn't um, it just says uh, that uh, that Adam had another child named Seth uh, when uh, when he was one hundred thirty years old. Um, so, and then after the birth of Seth, Adam lived uh, eight hundred years. So Adam was. 930 years old when he died. Um, uh, okay, so anyway, all right. Um, so another interpretation of Lo'odal Shamra, right, these uh, somewhat ambiguous phrases is uh, that Le'ovda, um, uh, which Avoda uh, is uh, both the term for work in Hebrew and also the term for uh, like service, uh, like religious service. In, in the Torah, so um, which you know on Yom Kippur, uh, the part of the service where we where we uh, describe the the um, the officiation of the priest in the Yom Kippur ritual in the temple is called the Avodah, right? So it's the sacrificial service of the high priest. So when it says Le'ovdah, it might be natural for the rabbis. To say, okay, Lovda indicates that there was uh, that there was like a sacrificial service here, and so God must have commanded him uh, to, uh, to to bring sacrifices in in the Garden of Eden, and that was, you know, it's another interpretation in some ways of like what was the what was the primate what was the first commandment? Um, uh, by the way, this is all trying to make sure that there's a commandment before the commandment not to eat from the tree of knowledge, which is the next thing that God, we're about to see this next verse, right? So it, it's in some ways trying to say that, uh, that that God is commanding something to Adam that is more primary than not eating from the tree. And one of those ideas is Shabbat, and another is essentially, I mean, it's sacrifices, but essentially it's prayer, right? Um, and so... Avodah is, is service in that way, or, or, or prayer, sacrifices. Um, and, uh, and Shomra is, uh, in the Midrash, is, um, is, the, uh, is, is observance of the commandment of Avodah. Right? So you should be diligent about doing the Avodah. Le'ovdah, 
to 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 uh, or they I think they're kind of reading that as le avodah uh, for for offering sacrifices ula shomra not about the garden not to protect the garden but to protect or to guard or to observe the rite of sacrifice right so the object of lishmor there lishomra is, uh, refers to an object reading it contextually from the from Genesis, gives off the impression that Lishomra is talking about the garden. Here, I think the rabbis are saying Lishomra is not talking about the garden, it's talking about the sacrifice. Another possible way of reading that is that the function of the sacrifice was a protection for the garden. Right? That, it, that invited God's protection um, uh, for, for Adam and for everything that, that lived in the garden. It's another possible way of reading it that, that, the, that the purpose of prayer is to you know maintain maintain divine favor and and divine God guidance. Anybody have thoughts about this, or should we move on? Okay. So these two things would precede the prohibition not to eat from the tree. Yeah, I mean they're two they're two possible. I don't think that they're uh, that anybody's claiming that it was both of these things. I think that they're saying uh, some people say it, you know that that leovdal uh, leshomra refers to Shabbat, and some people are saying leovdal leshomra refers to sacrifice, and and uh, so there's a discussion about um, uh, uh, whether either of these things, but probably not both, whether either of these things were the first commandment that God gave Adam in the garden. It was the second. It was the what? second commandment. What do you mean? What was the, the, f- the, first one was, the first one was to multiply. Okay. The, that that commandment... He created the order here, too. He created the Adam. One baby babies. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, uh... uh uh, that is in Genesis one, so that's let's make man in our image according to our likeness, and so God makes man in God's image according to God's likeness. So sorry, I'm pulling up the verse, and says. Um, uh, and and then says so God created both man and woman and says to them Peru uh, shuha okay so uh, be fruitful multiply and fill the earth and conquer it uh, and so rule the fish of the, of the sea and the birds of the sky and all of the animals that, that crawl on the ground actually one, one could argue that there's several commandments there Pruvu, uh, those might be two commandments. Mulua ta'aretz, fill the earth. Kivshuha, conquer it. Redu bidgatayam. So okay, so maybe I'll phrase it this way, which is um, a, a primary commandment to Adam after placing him in the Garden of Eden. So maybe not the first commandment that God gives to Adam, but the first one that God gives to Adam after placing him in the Garden of Eden, or the function of placing him in the Garden of Eden, the purpose of putting him in the Garden of Eden. Because in this case, for example, this second commandment, this, com- this commandment you are, you are talking about, is the one that's going to establish the relationship between God and, and Adam. Before, no. Before, he was talking about go and make babies. And come, but he was not talking about him. He was talking about 
Adam in, the, in his new environment, and the second one is about he and Adam, God and Adam, and you know, take care of the service. So I'm not sure if I follow. Yeah, the first one was about the first. Which one is the first one? Go and multiply. Okay. And then this this one, for example, is the second one where first he's he's telling Adam to go and convert the land, whatever, and and make babies. Second one is the service creating the shava. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what I'm saying is that I think that the, the, the Midrash is saying that that's actually an either or, right? Either God is commanding him here to observe Shabbat or God is commanding him to give sacrifices, but probably not both. Um, uh, I mean, I guess I suppose it's possible, right? But, uh, but I think that like, these are two different possibilities.